Zorro.com is where you'll find everything you need for businesses of any size in almost any industry. They have tools, equipment, and supplies for everything you need. Whether you need stuff for industries like electrical, plumbing, manufacturing, or more, Zorro's got it from brands you know and trust. And Zorro.com offers amazing customer service from real people based in the U.S. Visit Zorro.com slash MLB, all in lowercase letters, to sign up for Zmail and get 15% off your first order. Hello and welcome to a special World Series preview edition of the Ringer MLB show. My name is Michael Bauman. I'm a staff writer at the Ringer. Uh, I am joined by Zach Cram. Zach, who did you pick to, to go to the World Series? I picked the Nationals and the Astros to go to the World Series. Weird. I picked the Nationals and Astros to go to the World Series in our preseason predictions. Uh, on the dials right now is our producer, Bobby Wagner. Bobby, who did you pick before the season to go to the World Series? Michael, I picked the Nationals as well as the Houston Astros. That's wild. And our, But the other voice you'll hear on this podcast today is it belongs to Ben Lindbergh, Big Lindy himself, in the words of Dan Saborski's uh, nickname generator. Ben, who did you pick before the season when we were making World Series predictions? Well, I correctly picked the two best teams in baseball, the Houston Astros and the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I, I'm sorry that you guys uh, made the incorrect pick partially, but got bailed out by luck in small sample size. Mm. And Dave Roberts. Glass, Mr. And Glass half full over here. I predicted everything correctly, except for Dave Roberts' bullpen usage. It's not really impressive, though, is it, that we all... I mean, the, the Astros was uh, kind of a gimme. That was like the free space on the, the bingo card, right? It would it would have been almost irresponsible to pick any other team but the Astros. So I feel like we were you halfway just, there. You couldn't just let this go? The, you, know, <laughs> you had to come back and interrupt no, my that's, segue to, that's to the talk half around I got your right. own failure? That's okay. the half I got right, and I'm taking away credit from myself for my correct prediction. That was an easy one. Okay. Well, we. Uh, I think Bobby also predicted Garrett Cole would win the the AL Cy Young. I uh, did. So did I? Is, and and my, Zach. So. And my midseason prediction was that he would break the single season K per nine record. So just ride the Astros all the way to the top, baby. <laughs> yeah. You know what, Bobby? Why don't you give me the control board? Let's uh, let's swap <laughs> this. You're you're the one with the the gift of a future sight. So. Uh. So we're gonna. Uh, preview this world series we're gonna i this is i think this is the world series i wanted frankly in addition to the one that i foresaw in the future uh using my uh my telepathic gifts uh i mean, just look at we're gonna start i think the obvious place to start is the three pitching matchups uh garrett cole versus max scherzer on in game one justin verlander versus steven strasburg in game two and game three uh back in washington will be zach granke versus Patrick Corbin, which in addition to being an exciting pitching matchup in its own right, gives Zach Greinke the chance to handle the bat in a high leverage situation. So, uh, Zach, why don't you, what, what is your big picture uh, anticipation of, of this series? So I actually wrote about this. If you're uh, reading or if you're listening to this on Tuesday, you can head to theringer.com and read. I explored whether this is the greatest set of World Series starters in history, and the answer is probably yes. It kind of depends what stat you look at. If you look at league-adjusted ERA, then this group of seven or eight starters, uh, which includes the six you mentioned, plus Anibal Sanchez, and maybe someone like Jose Urquidy, uh, if the Astros end up going with four starters, they would rank second in something like ERA, and number one is the 1906 matchup, 
between the White Sox and Cubs, which was the deadest part of the dead ball era. So this would be the best pitching matchup in a century. And if you look at other advanced stats like uh, Fangraph's War or League Adjusted FIP, this is actually by far the best set of World Series starters ever, which is a, a meaningful. I think there have been over 100 World Series. A lot of them have had Hall of Fame starters going up against each other. And especially in the early decades of baseball, teams would only start two or three pitchers in a World Series. So it was easier to it's easier to have two outliers than it is to have three or four outliers. But that's not the case this year. There are, these are legitimately six of the best pitchers in baseball. And because we didn't have to go to a game seven uh, in either series, both teams can basically line up the rotations the way they wanted. And that means we get these awesome pitching matchups in six of the seven games if the series goes the distance. And that's the obvious story, but it kind of needs to be because it's so exciting. Yeah, I, that it's like you said, it's obvious for a reason. Ben, what say you? Is this the as excited as you've been for a World Series pitching matchup since the heady days of Orville Overall and Jack Fister? <laughs> yeah, it's tough to match that level of excitement, but I agree with Zach. These guys are good. These are some pretty good rotations. And I don't know that there is any other team in baseball that could have matched up with the Astros' big three, because when that trade was made, it was just you foresaw this happening. I know we all foresaw it before the season started, but not with Zach Granke. And yet the Nationals three is just about as good. I, I really don't know if I could choose one or the other. It's kind of a coin flip for me. I guess the Dodgers would have been close, but really, I think these are the two best rotations. And the Nationals, of course, have had the benefit of sweeping in the NLCS and then getting this long break before the series start, which aside from all the talk about rustiness that we hear at this time of year, I think they really needed that break as much as any team because there's not much beyond the rotation, which maybe we will discuss. Yeah, that's I'm I'm glad you said benefit as if to forestall the the conversation I'm about to provoke. Uh, I <laughs> saw a headline uh, that this is going to be and I didn't dig into the numbers. So forgive me if, if this ends up being a little specious, but this is uh, the Astros are the biggest World Series betting favorites since 2007. And there's been no shortage of 2007 Rockies uh, parallels with this Nationals team. Now, maybe less because of the way the team's constructed, because this is certainly a better rotation than the Ubaldo Jimenez uh, led staff that that uh, Colorado rode to the World Series, but the hot streak they went on to, you know, coming out of the wild card to even the fact that, that both teams seem to have a lucky jersey and that there was talk about the Astros are are uh, something like eight and one in their blue tops and the uh, the Nationals have, have won their last six games in their blue tops. And so the, the Astros have the option to choose their blue jerseys and force the Nationals to wear something else, which the Diamondbacks actually did to the the Rockies in, in 07 in the NLCS when they uh, uh, were wearing those black sleeveless jerseys. So, I, you know, but anyway, more back to your original point, the uh, there was a ton of discussion because the the Rockies won the or they went through the National League playoffs without losing a game in 2007, as opposed to the Red Sox, who came through a really tough American League bracket, went to seven games in the ALCS. And there was talk about, you know, would you rather be able to set up your rotation or would you rather be rested? Uh, and you know, maybe that wasn't the best test case because the teams, it really was that lopsided a matchup, but it, it just seems obvious that you'd want to be able to set up your rotation, have rest, and particularly at this point in the season where everybody's got nagging aches and pains, like you could just 
take your ease for a couple of days. And I think that's, uh, you know, just to, to have that pressure off a little bit makes a big difference. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I think it was big for the Astros that they did finish off the Yankees in game six and did not have to use Cole, which would have pushed him back a few games in the World Series. So now he lines up at the start and then maybe he can appear up to three times in the series and he could come out of the bullpen. So I think that's a big benefit, too. And it's an annual conversation. Whether it's at the end of the season and we talk about when is it best to clinch, do you want to clinch on the last day of the season so that you are finely tuned and you've been playing at your peak the whole time, or do you want to clinch early so that you can rest people? And we go back and forth on this, and usually neither side actually supplies any numbers (laughs) so that it just ends up being this, well, I think it's this and I think it's that. I think the default should be that you have to convince me that the layoff is actually detrimental. If that's your position, I need some numbers showing me that's the case. And I've never seen any because at this time of year, all these teams are banged up and everyone is tired and you just can't convince me, at least without showing me some evidence, that it's worse to have a little layoff and, of course, to be able to structure your rotation the way that you want. And especially given that the Nationals have used their starters as bullpen guys and likely will continue to in this series, they need that rest even more. So I think that's a big help to them. Zach, how does that sound to you as the the one the person on this podcast who's been least beaten down by the ravages of time? <laughs> I think Ben's last point is right. From the Nationals' perspective, the fact that they've needed to use their starters in relief, and not just that, but they've basically needed Doolittle and Hudson to pitch at the end of every game. Their six top pitchers, the four starters, Doolittle and Hudson, have combined for 90% of their postseason innings. And that as obviously a strategy that has worked. It's a strategy they will need to continue against the Astros. So I think having that week off to reset really matters. It would be, I think, a a different story if the Nationals were coming into this series having lasted seven games against the Cardinals and maybe Max Scherzer and Strasburg had both pitched a couple times in relief. The fact that they've had a week off, I think, is really helpful as they head into another week where they'll presumably be pitched until their arms are going to fall off. Yeah, that's the... I mean, you want to talk about, I guess, uh, the the failure of the Cardinals has many fathers in, in this sense. But the thing that really sticks out to me is, you know, we've known that the bullpen was the Nationals' weakness since, like, 2014. And it's just never changed. Like, it's, all, it's almost, you know, I wrote about the early 2010s Tigers uh, that went up on, on Monday morning. But it's almost to that level of untrustworthiness of this bullpen. And knowing that, the Cardinals only managed to get nine plate appearances off of everybody. But, you know, you said it was it was 90% of the, of the innings. Yeah, it's nine, nine plate appearances against Fernando Rodney and Tanner Rainey. And they went uh, 0 for 9 with five, I think, five strikeouts. And... You want to talk about a team that, that's well poised to sort of break open that clamshell that the the Astros rotation and Hudson and Doolittle can put around that soft meat of the bullpen. Um, wow, that uh, metaphor got visceral <laughs> in a in a big hurry. Sounds uh, appetizing. You know, yeah, I guess so. You know, good seafood in Houston. So uh, anyway, the uh, the point is, I think the Astros are about as tough a lineup to. Uh, to unpack is Eddie in baseball or or as there is in baseball. And if anybody's going to be able to, you know, we'll, I guess we'll talk about like the, the looming specter of, uh, of pitch tipping or sign stealing a little bit later on as it pertains to some of these nationals pitchers. But, you know, I, I think that they will do a better job of, of getting to, to the middle of that, um, 
to the middle of that Nationals bullpen than the Cardinals did. I think they have to, given both how, even when they're not hitting, they extend at bats and foul off pitches, and just frankly, it's hard to do worse than the Cardinals did. One fascinating aspect of this postseason, though, is that the Astros really haven't hit. Against the Yankees, they had a lower batting average, a lower on-base percentage, and a lower slugging percentage than the Yankees did, which, granted, has been done before. Last year, when the Astros were eliminated against Boston, they had a higher OPS in the series. But if you look at Houston's lineup, only two players, uh, Altuve and Bregman, have an OPS of even 700 in the playoffs. The Nationals have eight guys who have been that hot. And I don't think that necessarily means anything going forward, but someone like Jordan Alvarez has legitimately been exposed as a rookie who just can't catch up to a high and inside pitch, kind of like uh, Cody Bellinger was exposed in his rookie season in the playoffs. And I think the Nationals probably have a lot of lessons to take away from Tampa and New York as to how to slow down this lineup. Yeah, I think Alvarez, are we doing X factors? Can I use my X factor? Yeah, we can now? do X factors since this is coming <laughs> I don't know up. What okay, an X we're going to do an X factor for <laughs> but, but sure, I, I think Alvarez is maybe one of the most fascinating stories of this series, or, or at least when it comes to analyzing the performance. I am sort of mystified by what's happened to him this postseason. There are many possible explanations, but as we head into the series, I think he's won for his last 27 now, I believe. And it's not just that he hasn't been getting hits and he's been striking out a ton. He struck out five times in his last couple of games in the ALCS, but it's also that the Astros, who are not a team that you would think would overreact to small sample performance, seem to have lost a little trust in him. They knocked him down from the fifth spot in the order entering the postseason to the sixth spot and then finally to the seventh spot. And in game six, they pinch hit for him with Oledmus Diaz, which granted was a, a platoon advantage move, but they had not pinch hit for him, I don't think, all season long. He just was not a guy you pinch hit for because he was the best hitter in baseball, not named Mike Trout from the day he came up. So this is the rookie of the year. He is someone who just physically and results-wise looks a lot older than his years and better than his years. And you wrote about him, Mike, in August about how the addition of Alvarez had really elevated the Astros from a really great team to just a terrifying all-time great team. And whether it's fatigue, you know, he's played more games than he ever has before, whether it is the postseason advanced scouting, whether it's just some youthful indiscretions at the plate that are getting exploited now. I don't know how much to make of this, but during the regular season, he really did beat up on finesse pitchers who tend to be less good and strike out fewer guys and throw less hard than power pitchers, as baseball reference classifies them, much more so than the rest of the league. He was sort of at a disadvantage against them. So is that something he can never overcome? No, I doubt it. As Zach mentioned, Bellinger looked like he was exposed, and then he went on to be an MVP. And I would not at all be surprised if the same thing happens to to Alvarez. But for right now, for this one week, right. Is this a real thing? Will he continue to be vulnerable? And, you know, will the Astros continue to trust him against lefties? Not that the Nationals have a whole lot of people to to max to match up with and they don't really have a lot of loogies. It's, you know, do little, but I wonder whether we will see improved performance out of him. It would be hard to do worse than he did during the ALCS. Yeah, that is the question though. Like, do you think that this is just a slump that he could snap out of at any time? Or do you think that this is something that you know, the the Rays and the Yankees have found uh, something that is real and the Nationals can continue to exploit. 
Yeah, I think it's semi-real. I think the fatigue factor could possibly be real. He's played a lot of games. He had been in AAA before he came up, of course, and had basically a full season's worth of offensive performance in a little more than half a season. So I think it's partly that and maybe also just that, yeah, he's not quite as selective as some of the Astros' best best hitters. I mean, he's not Alex Bregman, who just will not swing at anything and every at-bat against him is an ordeal. Alvarez will chase a little bit. You know, whether there is some magic hole that he just cannot hit if you keep putting it there over and over, I don't know. I think he's probably too good for that. So we'll see if he can make a counter adjustment. I'm sure he will. I just don't know if it'll be next year or this week. Uh, Zach, do you have anything to to add on the Jordan Alvarez discourse or do you want to go to your X Factor? Uh, The only thing I'd say to that is he's kind of making the Astros uh, decision for the three games in the NL Park easier. Like this was, I guess this is always a thing when an American League team has a really great hitting DH who can't play in the field all that well. Like the Red Sox faced this in the David Ortiz years is who do you displace from the lineup to put him in in the field and maybe you fit him in the field for seven innings and try to take him out for a defensive replacement. But at, at this, the rate Alvarez is hitting, he can't really hit at all. So you don't need to worry about his performance in the outfield. So I guess that's a positive. He's making Hinch's life easier. My X factor is about a different young lefty slugger, which is Juan Soto. And I'm particularly interested in this for two reasons. The first is that uh, Soto has been a magnet for loogies in the postseason, from Adam Cleric with the Dodgers to uh, Andrew Miller with the Cardinals. And it makes sense. He's a really great hitting lefty. So you would want to face up against him in a key situation with a lefty reliever of your own. The problem is the Astros don't have any lefty relievers. They didn't carry a single lefty uh, pitcher on their roster against New York. And against Tampa, their only lefty was Wade Miley, who was hit hard, has been terrible uh, over the last couple months, and probably won't make the World Series roster. So you'll probably end up seeing like Will Harris on Soto late in games, which might be more of an advantage for Soto than he's been used to the last couple rounds. But where this really interests me in a baseball nerd perspective is the Astros set a record this year. They did not issue a single intentional walk all season long. Might they issue an intentional walk to Soto? No, lacking, surely not. <laughs> lacking a leftier lever, like if there's a runner on second in a close game and Soto comes to the plate, will Hinch continue his streak and have a righty face Soto or will he walk Soto to get to Howie Kendrick? And that's the kind of uh, chess match I'm personally interested in watching. Man, what a, where's Tony what a Sip bold when you need prediction. him, right? Oh, he was on the Nationals, wow. and they released him, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't I don't even know if Soto's an X-Factor. I think this is one of those things that, like, he's definitely going to be one of the players the series hinges on his performance just because, you know, like, the difference between um, some of these really pitching-heavy teams that have stalled out in the playoffs before and these Nationals is the Rendon-Soto back-to-back thing. And I mean, that like that was literally the difference against Clayton Kershaw in Game 5 of the Division Series. Uh, just the the strength of their of their lineup and those two guys in particular. Like, if Soto has a bad week, uh, you know, this goes four, maybe five games. And if, you know, but he is also going to be in a position to... Uh, to you know, I, I think he's capable of having one of those, you know, like four home run, uh, you know, 11 for for 20 World Series that we see every so often. To be clear, yeah. the X factor was not Juan Soto, who's perhaps oh, I see. the second okay. best player <laughs> and the cleanup hitter on a World Series team. It was A.J. Hinch and intentional walks, which 
is quite the change from the last team the Nationals played where Cardinals manager Mike Schilt was seemingly unhappy if he couldn't find someone to intentionally walk in a game. Yeah, yeah that was a, what a ride that was, the, <laughs> the Mike Schilt show. Um, it is great that Soto has gotten this exposure this postseason because we talk a lot about how it can kind of catapult you into stardom or what passes for stardom for baseball players these days. But usually we're talking about exposing some little known player, overlooked player to just a casual fan. But in Soto's case, I think even we have gained a greater appreciation for him, not so much as a player, but judging by our conversations on Ringer Slack, for instance, I think I certainly appreciate just how entertaining a player he is more than I did just because I wasn't watching Nationals games every day. And now it seems like I am. And the whole post pitch taking routine and his expressiveness and the little feuds that he got into with the Cardinals and all the rest. I think I now appreciate him more, not just as an incredibly precocious player who is great at any age, but especially at his age, but just also as a really fun watch. He is just a really entertaining player in addition to being a great one. Yeah, I'll I'll admit to being part of the problem in, in that respect before Bobby goes back and digs out my old slacks, uh, <laughs> questioning Juan Soto's uh, charisma. You know, I always appreciated him in this sort of like, I always said this about like Trout and Joey Votto and not a whole lot of other players. Kyle Schwarber sort of had this for for a little while where like the the plate discipline and the approach are so good that you could sort of see the gears turning in the in the hitter's head as the pitch is coming to the plate. And, you know, like hitting is the act of hitting is just over so quickly that it's tough to to do it in an entertaining fashion. Like it's mostly about the results. And so, you know, Soto uh, just having that quality about him, even, but like, even as, as entertaining assets go, I think like he's, he suffers uh, by comparison to Ronald Acuna, who's just Mm -hmm. an explosive athlete and has just a gorgeous swing and, and everything about him just screams, you know, next generation Ken Griffey Jr. And Soto's like a little bit more subdued is in terms of his skill set, but just watching him, you know, I I go back and forth in, in the sort of believing in clutch, you know, thing from the uh, certainly from a predictive perspective. Like that's definitely something that you can really only uh, analyze from a you know from a post hoc uh, point of view. But the watching him really rise to this occasion has been something. You know, it's been something to see because you know, you really see. You've really seen this this young player, you know, precocious. I think it was the word you use. Just embrace uh, these incredibly high pressure situations where he is. You know, the Nationals. You know, they they've got a lot of good hitters, but they're they're not. It, he represents a huge chunk of what makes that offense, uh, you know, scary in the regular season and competitive even in uh, in the postseason. And watching him really really embrace that and sort of play up with it, you know, play to the crowd in those big moments has been. Uh, a lot of fun to watch. So I, yeah. I agree. Like he is, uh, we were sort of talking, you know, we, we sort of talk all the time about like who could take, you know, who's this year's Javi Baez, who's this year's Carlos Correa. Uh, Juan Soto, I think has run away with that this yeah. this postseason. And in our defense, I suppose, I think he has come out of his shell a little bit or become more expressive over time. So it's partly that we perhaps didn't notice, but also perhaps that he has embraced those tendencies. I've read his quotes saying that he used to do the Soto shuttle, shuffle in the minor leagues, but he didn't initially do it or didn't do it as often when he got to the big leagues because, you know, he was a rookie and a teenager. And now I think he feels 
feels comfortable enough and secure in his own skills that he can do that sort of thing. Not that he's exactly a veteran, but he certainly plays like one. And so now I think he is being himself a bit more. I mean, like, I think there's a, a sort of like a young Bryce Harper, young Manny Machado quality to him that like, you know, you could see the you know, coming up to the majors at, at 19, you, you, you know, you turn into a veteran really quick if, mm-hmm. uh, if you can play. So I think that he's definitely at the, and it's been hysterical to see like, um, him holding up the, the bottle of sparkling grape juice in the, in the locker room celebration and stuff like that. I'm, I'm really enjoying the, the Juan Soto show. He turns 21 this week, I believe. Uh, if I'm doing my math right, the morning of game three, so maybe he could celebrate with his first legal drink. Oh boy, that yeah. that would be something to see. That's <laughs> not, not I, a great I was time, like, right? I, I was to worried. Have your 21st birthday during the World Series it doesn't really leave a lot of time for celebration if you want to be prepared for the game. They, so let me say this: like as Washington is sort of turning into title town, and like you know, seeing Elena Daladon and the the Mystics uh, celebrate their title uh, this month, and of course, like. Nobody has celebrated a championship uh, more fully than Alex Ovechkin when the the Capitals won the Stanley Cup. So, I, you know, if uh, if he wants to to go out and party, there will be ample time for for him to do that after the World Series. I'm sure uh, he'd rather be doing this than than uh, going out and partying when he turns 21. I, I thought you were going to say Zach that he turns 21 like on the morning of Game Six, and like, is there a, a you know a uh, a moral hazard like does he misplay a ball in game four as the nationals are going to for the sweep so he could be a part of the the champagne spray but anyway <laughs> uh you mentioned zach you mentioned will harris and this is not my my x factor as such but i'm curious to hear your guys thoughts on both teams bullpens because you know we've i've written about it we've talked about it ad nauseum you know Dave Martinez is managed like he only trusts two of his relievers and I think frankly that's probably smart um but if you look at uh you know Doolittle's had had a couple hiccups this offseason Daniel Hudson or not this offseason this this uh October Daniel Hudson had definitely has made us sweat a couple times or made the Nationals sweat and then you look at the the Nationals or at the the Astros bullpen uh you know, Josh James has gotten knocked around a little bit. Roberto Asuna blew that save before uh, Araldis Chapman came back and allowed the the game winning home run in Game Six. The the Rays almost got to him in the division series. Ryan Presley uh, had a little hitch in his giddy up and will I, I think almost certainly make the World Series roster, but his status for for Game One is in question. You know, Joe Smith has pitched well, but like Harris is the only the only reliever left I think in the postseason who I really look at and think. Yeah, this this guy's got it. Like, there's no chance of there's like he comes in and and I think he's really going to lock things down the way I did. You know, maybe with like a prime Kenley Jansen. Yeah, I think that's maybe that's that's overstating how well he's pitching right now. But I think that that uh, as as many good or ordinarily solid relievers as the Astros have, I think that that they can. You know, this is not their strength, and I think we there's a, a worry to where you know you look at Presley and you look at. Uh, Joe Smith, and you look at um, at Roberto Asuna, and you assume that the Astros not only have the better bullpen, but have like an impregnable bullpen. And I think that that's uh, that's something I think is going to get underplayed as we talk about the series. Well, I think you're right that Will Harris is one of the most underrated players in baseball. Uh, he joined the Astros on a waiver claim 
uh, and that was five seasons ago. And in those five seasons, Will Harris is the third best ERA of any relief pitcher in baseball. His one is Zach Britton, two is Aroldis Chapman, three is Will Harris, four is Josh Hader, and five is Kenley Jansen. So that shows you the kind of company he keeps. He just doesn't do it in the same fashion as those other pitchers, either throwing as hard as they do or getting saves like they do. And I think that is one of the reasons he might not be thought of in that respect. But I feel like I have an opinion on Roberto Osuna's on-field performance that is not supported by the numbers. I feel like every single time I watched him pitch this year, he blew a save. So heading into the Yankees series, I thought, wow, that's a real disadvantage the Astros have with the bullpens, with Osuna in the back. And then you look at his numbers and he led the ALN saves. He had a 2.63 ERA. He actually was quite good on the mound this year, but I think he can leave pitches up in the zone and give up home runs. And he isn't quite the strikeout pitcher that a lot of other elite closers are. So I think that leaves him a little vulnerable to getting hit in the playoffs. I'm not sure, again, if that's supported by the numbers. It's just the perception I've gotten from watching him pitch this year. And if you have a back link that isn't quite as reliable, we've seen how quickly bullpens can implode in like a three-day span in the playoffs. I mean, we've seen this October that that Hinch will take Osuna out and have Harris come in, you know, if he's available. If that's you know, the the bullpen game, if it happens again in game four, I think is is going to be really interesting because you know that's you you obviously can't manage to in the fear that you're going to run out of good pitchers. Um, but it's something to, you know, it, it's it's a huge difference if Smith or Harris is available when Osuna comes in versus not. Uh, ben, do you have any thoughts on Roberto Osuna's on-field uh, uh, qualities heading into this World Series? Well, I agree with you that no one really on either of these teams is kind of that guy who you're constantly looking for and wondering when is he going to come into the game and sort of just mentally penciling in a zero or two when that guy comes into the game because you just don't have that combination of either overpowering stuff or great effectiveness. I agree with you that Harris is the best of the bunch, but Harris, I think if there is a slight there, it's that He has not gotten more than four outs in a game since August 2018. He's never gotten more than four outs in a game in the postseason. So he's not necessarily you're going to bring in to get, you know, six outs in the seventh or eighth. He just hasn't done that. I guess if he ever is going to, it would be during the World Series. But that's kind of the knock against him is that he only helps you so much. He he may very well give you that scoreless inning, but he probably will not give you two. So I agree that there's no one else who really gives me ultimate confidence right now, and that certainly goes for Osuna. I think, obviously, these teams have great rotations, and so the bullpen weakness is minimized. And again, even though we're saying that the bullpen is maybe a weakness for the Astros, it's another area where even the Astros' weakness is probably better than the Nationals on the other side of things. So it's really hard to find anything that the Nationals do better than the Astros do. Yeah, before we uh, uh, move on from Will Harris, uh, 35 years old, and uh, he had to grow that goatee because so he would stop getting carded to get into R-rated movies. What yeah. Blessed with, with a cherubic face, that man. I don't know um, that the facial hair helps that much in his case, I gotta no, say. I don't think so. <laughs> it I, looks like uh, someone drew it on. Yeah, it's it's definitely like 
I don't know. Far be it for me to impugn the facial hair of a man who had a 150 ERA this year. <laughs> you know, obviously, uh, he doesn't need my help. Uh, you know, picking out his his stylings, but uh, the goatee is an interesting, uh, interesting choice. Um, so let's just do. I mean, we've sort of been dancing around this. I think Tanner Rainey is my my X factor this uh, this postseason, and you know, maybe you can lump. Um, uh, Fernando Rodney in, in with this, like those seem to be the arms three and four out of the Washington bullpen. Uh, how they do, you know, how long, how many chances Washington or uh, how many chances Houston has off of the non do little non Hudson relievers and how well and uh, how well they capitalize on those chances is going to be huge. You know, I we'll we'll get to predictions by the end of this, the show, but like what I want is Fernando Rodney against Bregman or Alvarez or Correa in the ninth inning of game seven, you know, or the 11th inning of game seven. That's, that's just all I want to see. And I think, you know, Rainey, I think is the guy just because of how hard he throws and he he pitched really well in the uh, NLCS. He's one of those people who I think could, has the opportunity to, to take a step up and become that third reliable option. And we'll see how he pitches, you know, God, maybe, not until game four or so. Uh, but you know, I think we will see him in a, in a big moment in this series. And, you know, that's something that the nationals have to win that battle. Cause you know, maybe they're better, a better matchup for Houston than the, the betting line might, might, uh, lead you to believe, but you know, they're, they're going to need to win all these, you know, all these little things, make up all these small advantages. And I think rainy, becoming that third reliable arm out of the bullpen would would make a gigantic difference. I completely agree with Fernando Rodney as excited I am as I am for Cole and Scherzer and Strasburg. Uh yeah, Fernando Rodney versus Bregman or Altuve in some key situation because Hudson has already pitched or because it's only like the 6th inning and it's not time to go to the back two yet is what I'm really excited for Fernando Rodney. Uh, last pitched in the World Series in the year 2006 as a member of the Detroit Tigers. And that was a long time ago. He faced batters like David Eckstein in that series and Jim Edmonds. And now he gets to face an entire new generation of awesome young hitters. He was so, 29 years fun. old when... Uh... <laughs> Honestly, the most amazing fact is that he was 29 years old and that was 13 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, they... He, uh, his teammates on that, I, I anticipated this, so we're just going to read names off this list. Uh, Nagley Ordonez, uh, obviously Pudge Rodriguez, Kenny Rogers, who was born in 1964, uh, 23-year-old <laughs> Justin Verlander, uh, and uh, Andrew Miller, at 21 years old, w- did not pitch in the World Series, but uh, appeared in the Major Leagues for the Tigers that year. I didn't even think about the Verlander connection. We've had so You didn't many... think about the Verlander connection? Well, we've had so many Tigers thoughts with the 2013 team which had Sanchez and Scherzer and Verlander that I didn't even think about Rodney and Verlander as teammates yeah I mean that's the I, I guess Rodney was gone by the time uh, Scherzer and Sanchez got there um, Matt Stairs Matt Stairs was on that team I had no idea that's wild Dimitri Young Demet Hook let's name some more Tigers honestly I could I mean <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're about half an hour, maybe a little bit more in. So we've got time to just, I could just read Dimitri Young's baseball reference page. <laughs> Chris Shelton. Chris Shelton. All oh, right, man. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, you know, we've been talking so much about uh, the pitchers, you know, and, you know, Alvarez and Soto, notwithstanding, 
I am interested to see what comes out of uh, yeah. I, I think maybe we're underselling uh, the quality, of the certainly the Nationals' offense or their ability to to string um, you know, string t- hits together like they did at times against uh, LA, but definitely against against Cardinals. I think that you know this is. Anthony Rendon is having such a good postseason. We've seen him smile on television, which I can't remember uh, that ever happening before. Uh, Howie Kendrick came back from a big, um, really a bad first couple games of the postseason to to be not only the hero of uh, Game 5 of the Division Series, but the uh, the MVP of the uh, NLCS. Um, you know, who else... Ben, do you think we ought to be looking at in terms of like these guy? This guy could be pivotal uh, in terms of uh, keeping Washington, you know, Washington's ability to keep pace with Houston offensively. Yeah, Kendrick is incredible because he was important for them all year because they really didn't have much of a bench, and so they had Kendrick as kind of a, a backup in the infield and multiple positions. And who would have expected him to? hit how he did all season long and then to get the big hits that he did in the playoffs after a slow start. I mean, he's always been a high average hitter, obviously, but the fact that he is still doing this at, is he 36? Yes, yes, he's 36. So to continue to play at this level is really impressive. Rendon, obviously, one of the storylines of the series, I think, is that all the best free agents are playing in the series or potential free agents. So you have Cole and Rendon and potentially Strasburg, too. Rendon, I think, doesn't really jump off the screen at you the way that Soto does, the way that some other guys do. He is great. He's one of the handful of best players in baseball. I don't know that he's the kind of guy who you say, well, now a national audience will get to see him because he still looks so unassuming that you might see him and still not realize that he's as good as he is. But obviously, he's great. And I will be curious to see if there is a nice sentimental moment for Ryan Zimmerman, who has made some real contributions in the series, whether it was at least temporarily saving Anibal Sanchez's no-hitter and getting a, a big hit. I mean, he is 34 now, and he's been broken down, and he's not what he was. But the fact that he is still hanging around, I guess he th- he turned 35 last month, actually. But he will have, at some point, one would hope and think some nice World Series moment in D.C. It's good, I think, that an original Nat is still around and lived through the lean years and is getting to see this team finally break through and actually win multiple post-series in series in his career. That is a, a nice ending to his career whenever it does wind down. I think looking at the Nationals lineup, heading into the playoffs, I thought a lot of their impact was going to be concentrated at the top. They have Turner, Eaton, Rendon, Soto, and Kendrick as the top five. And I really thought it dropped off after that. And that, especially against Houston, would be a big disadvantage because you don't want to give the likes of Verlander and Cole free innings. And as we talked about with the bullpen, it's a lot easier to manage a bullpen if you have lesser hitters you can foist your lesser relievers on. And that was kind of what got the Yankees down is the back half of their lineup just didn't hit at all. The Nationals converse to what I expected, have actually hit better than the Astros bottom of the order. The Nationals with guys like Michael A. Taylor and Victor Robles and Jan Gomes is hitting 308 with a 400 on base percentage in the playoffs. And all of these are small sample, of course, but they have given the Nationals life and put guys on ahead of the top of the order and just made life harder for opposing pitchers. If that keeps up, I think the Nationals who 
to be clear, have a worse lineup on paper than the Astros could help close that gap a little bit. You mentioned Robles, and I think having him back is going to be just enormous. You know, I, as much as you know, Michael Michael A. Taylor had that big home run, um, but Robles just gives them his defense, uh, his speed on the bases, his athleticism. I think it just adds another dimension to that offense, particularly if you're going one through nine. Um, but apart from him, the biggest position that um, that I'm looking at is catcher and how much Kurt Suzuki's going to play because he's been he's been getting the line share of the the playing time back there and we've seen you know definitely the Dodgers um, and the Cardinals to a lesser extent really victimize his inability to control the running game and this is this is the last thing that I want to sort of talk about as a big picture thing because the Astros have been really good at you know. You know, between the uh, picking up on Tyler Glass now is pitch tipping to maybe stealing signs against the the Yankees. You know whether they're doing that, uh, shall we say, through organic or or art or uh, electronic means uh, or a combination of the two. I it certainly nothing's been been proven about that. But yeah, it's or whether this is just a complete bluff and they just have this reputation. They're just using that to get into their opponent's heads. I think that the the level of gamesmanship around that, the the Astros' ability to to maximize these small advantages, I think is a lot of the reason, in addition to just having invested heavily in starting pitching and uh, having a preposterously talented homegrown lineup between Altuve, uh, between or Altuve, Springer, if Marisnik gets into the series at all, they have guys who can punish Kurt Suzuki on the bases and Suzuki allowed 45 stolen bases on 50 attempts. And there, there hasn't been a, a season really in Suzuki's entire career where he is, uh, not allowed not only a high percentage of stolen bases, uh, against him in terms of attempts, but a huge volume. Like uh, a couple years ago when he was with Minnesota, uh, opposing opposing base stealers were 80 for 94 against him, which is just a just a, an incredible volume. And I think if you're if you get on base and he's behind the plate, you have to go until you find somebody you, until you find a base in front of you with somebody else on it. And I think we're going to see. Uh, well, maybe I don't know if we, we are going to, but we should see the Astros really take advantage of that. And so you know. This is just something that I think you have to price into the the uh, analysis of of the Astros right now. Not only this, but Anibal Sanchez has gotten by. Uh, you know, certainly, he's pitched extremely well, but there's a lot of a lot of guile, a lot of deception in the way he's been doing it. You know, can the Astros pick up a pattern? Can they pick up something to um, to counteract what the you know, the Cardinals and the Dodgers just couldn't hit him? Um, can they pick up something to to help them get around that? So I think that's the that might be something that uh, that needs to be watched over the course of this uh, course of this World Series. Yeah, Suzuki is not in there for his arm. He's not in there for his glove because he is a perennially weak framer. So he's really there for his bat, and his bat in this postseason is one for twenty. So that's not what you want. And I do think that you're right. There are certain guys on the Astros who can pick spots and steal against him. If you had to find a weakness in the Astros during the regular season, it probably would be their base running. They were one of the worst base running teams. They did not steal a whole lot. So that was kind of the one thing that they didn't do. Not that they really needed to do that because they (laughs) they had the best offense anyway, but I don't know that they are that well configured to take advantage of Suzuki's weakness, although they do have certain individuals who can definitely do it. Yeah, I mean, systemically, they're like some of this, like George Springer is 
this is an ongoing fascination for me is how George Springer is this bad a base stealer being as athletic as he is. <laughs> um, although he was six for eight this year, but you know, we saw Altuve just essentially didn't pursue it this year. And you know, he's a guy who's gotten, uh, you know, maybe he's a little older, maybe his legs don't have as much spring, but he's been a 50, uh, 50 stolen base guy. Um, you know, Bregman has the legs to do it when, when he's got a shot. So I think this might, I don't know if it, it's probably more a lack of desire than a lack of, uh, than a lack of ability because stolen base is a high risk proposition. And this is a lineup that one through nine, you know, who's the guy you want to steal in front of. But I think this is a very specific opportunity. I, you know, I, I wrote about this at the very beginning of the season that teams ought to be more aggressive when they find that advantage, just really hammering it home. And uh, you know, I think they're they're going to have an opportunity to, to an opportunity to do that in the World Series if they choose to take advantage of it. One thing we haven't talked about yet is the dejuiced ball in the postseason, and I wonder if that plays any role in determining base running opportunities because. One of the reasons we have seen base running hit or stolen bases hit not an all time low, but a low for at least the last half century is when home runs are so high, you don't need to be on second base to score on a home run. So it's not worth the risk. But now, as the balls are dying on the warning track this postseason and the Astros have frankly struggled to hit, I wonder if they begin to to nudge the risk factor up a little bit more, especially against the starting pitchers. Um, It's possible that uh the teams know even more about the juiced ball or the dejuiced ball than we public analysts do the cardinals uh manager mike schilt came out during the nlcs and said that their analysts had determined uh that balls were flying four and a half feet less uh than they had during the regular season and i'm not sure quite what those specifications were but it certainly seemed to suggest that they were able to identify with more specificity than we were if Houston's analysts have discovered the same thing, I wonder if they decide base running is worth it more. Here's another like another option, and we don't have AJ Hinch's roster as we're recording, but Miles Straw. Yeah, yeah. Like so. So here's I'm just looking at this, uh, looking at the the ALCS stats, and even in the in a even after the series went six games, Hector Rondon uh, faced one batter, um, or he got one out. Brian Abreu uh, pitched two thirds of an inning. Uh, gave up two runs, had an ERA of 27. At like, at what point does that does that eighth right or that eighth or ninth right-handed reliever do you less good than having a 70 runner, somebody who stole, looking at this now, 70 bases in the minor leagues last year? Like, it's str- it has shown the ability to fill in. You know, maybe they they're not going to need a mid shortstop or second base because I guess if Miles Straw is is playing defense for you. And uh, with this starting infield, maybe uh, you've gone off the deep end already. But particularly, I don't know. I I think this is the this is the the time to to bring your Terrence Gord, bring your Herb Washington. I know, I know, I know. You know, Herb Washington got picked off in the the 74 World Series. But like this is the time to bring your specialized tool. And you know, if I were making up this roster, I would absolutely have Miles Straw on it. Yeah, I think that might make sense. The difference between Gary Sanchez and Suzuki is pretty significant. That seems like the one thing that we haven't seen a whole lot of this off, this postseason, just that dedicated pinch runner. Like Terrence Gore was not called up. Where was Terrence Gore? Where's the guy who everyone knows he's going to go, but he still goes anyway and still makes it? We haven't really seen that guy on rosters this postseason. Yeah. 
the Nationals, I'm looking now, have not stolen a single base in the playoffs, and they have Trey Turner on their team. Granted, maybe you don't need Trey Turner to run when he has Rendon and Soto up right behind him, but I think that's a perfect distillation of what we've seen in 2019, that even dedicated base runners are leery about going. You know, I I just think about you spend all season sitting on these things you notice. Like, you know, Ben, you remember uh, the the Alex Zumwalt episode of the show from a couple years ago, mm-hmm. like him talking about the Royals, you know, keeping the, um, you know, keeping the what they noticed in their pocket and then stealing seven bases off of was it John Lester and Derek Norris mm-hmm. in the, the 2014 uh, wildcard game. I don't know. Maybe the Astros don't have have that uh, that club in their bag. Maybe they have no intention of running, you know, but this is just seems like this seems like an obvious place to do it. Like if you're not going to use it now, you know, speak now or forever, hold your peace. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to you want to hit or do you want to get to predictions? Oh, my favorite part. I know Ben wants to get to predictions. Yeah, don't keep me waiting. All right. Uh, let's let's go around the horn. Um, and, uh, and do some, some predictions. So Zach, uh, what will be the result of this series and in how many games? So I think the smart choice is to pick Houston, even if you consider starting pitching a wash, I think despite what we've seen in the playoffs thus far, Houston has a better lineup. They have a deeper bullpen and they have home field advantage. Seems like the advantage, uh, overall, but given that I picked Washington before the season, uh, I think I'll pick Washington in this series because I really disagree with the notion that the Astros are bigger favorites than other teams we've seen this decade. You mentioned that Vegas thinks they're the biggest favorites since 2007. And I think I agree with what Ben wrote a week ago, not just about not predicting sweeps, but that in general, postseason series are basically all coin flips. The Astros might be, I don't know, 60% favorites in this series versus 40 for the Nationals, but that's still a really hearty chance for Washington to pull the upset uh, so I'm going to take Washington in six games. Ben, how about you? Yeah, I agree that it's not as lopsided as some seem to say it is. Uh, even the Fangraphs playoff odds right now, I think, have the Astros as something like 72% likely to win the series. Which That's wild. It really is. Yeah, right. I, I mean, I, I see this as more of a 60-40 thing than a 70-30 thing. I mean, in the playoffs, I, I don't think you ever get 70-30 things really, except for maybe an individual game here or there. And I think it's kind of funny how everyone is citing the Nationals record since late May. And even then, it's like identical to the Astros full season record. So the Nationals like after picture in the before and after is no better than the Astros before picture. Like they were just that good all season long. Yes, the Nationals played at a 107 win pace, but the Astros actually won that many games. So I do think they're that great. And I do think that they are the favorites to win this series. And so I will take them and I'll take them in six, I suppose, because I I wouldn't want to bet against the Nationals picking up a couple games with that rotation. But yeah, it would not at all surprise me if it went the other way. So I really want to pick a Houston sweep for two reasons. <laughs> One is to, as a statement, as a bit uh, against that act of cowardice that, that Ben <laughs> perpetrated on our fair website. Uh, two, and this is like a, a legitimate thing. I think the long, like, I like the Nationals' chances the longer the series goes on. Uh, because you look at just the pitching matchups that we're likely to see. I frankly, 
like I like the oh I I actually did mean to men- to mention this like uh, there was I think it was it was Joe Buck and and Ken Rosenthal were talking about Jose Urquidy in the um game six and like he could be the guy who fills in for Garrett Cole uh if Garrett Cole leaves him free agency as if like acting like Garrett Cole is going to be too expensive for this Astros team that's won 310 games over the past three years has been to the World Series twice uh you know lives or plays in the the fourth largest city in the United States as if there was such a thing as too expensive for a pitcher who just had the season that Cole had and they're gonna that but if and when he does leave as a free agent we're going to see so much talking, you know, so much talking up of their uh, internal uh, ability to replace a pitcher who just broke the the single season strikeout uh, uh, strikeout rate record. Anyway, I I like Sanchez over whatever the the Astros throw out in Game Four. The Cole Scherzer matchup, I think, is is probably a coin flip. And then you know, deal. I frankly like Strasburg over Verlander in a potential game six. You get to game seven. Everybody's available for the Nationals. There's no, you know, nothing to to hold anything back for. Zach Greinke has not pitched well this postseason. So I think like come, even the fact that it's coming back to Houston, I think just the way those big six pitchers have pitched, the way the two bullpens set up, it favors the Nationals the longer this series goes. Um, I just, I, so if I'm going to pick Houston, it ought to be short, but I can't do a sweep because, like, if you pick, <laughs> but here's I was the thing: on the edge of my seat there. So here's the thing: like, if you pick Houston in a sweep, everybody's going to think that that you think, or like, if if I did that, everybody would think that that would be a statement of, oh, the Nationals don't have a chance, as opposed to four games being probably the most likely. You know, or second most likely number of games in which the Astros would win this series if they were going to win it. Um, I don't know. I, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go. Houston in four. I think it's either going to be Houston or four in four or Washington in seven. Oh, you and, wound uh, me. You wound me deeply. You know what? Somebody's got to uh, <laughs> got to stand up for you know. This this uh, website is, after all, the the publishers of the hottest take podcast, and you know <laughs> I've, I've got to fit in around here. I will say I I think uh, it was a friend of, uh, friend of the ringer Randy Gisarly was saying that like he wants either the coronation of Houston is like this uh, Golden State Warriors type uh, dynasty in a sweep or like the the great back and forth seesaw battle upset, um, and I agree with that a hundred percent. I think I would like to see one of those two outcomes and i think that's probably what we're going to get you know forced to pick one of the two give me houston and four i guess mm. i want more baseball give me the most baseball possible postpone the offseason as long as we can yeah was, you say that part of me suspects that you're sick of baseball at this point. <laughs> well it does mean more blogging for us but we get several months without baseball blogging after that i'm just looking at more stats over here did you know that steven strasberg's uh, strikeout to walk ratio this postseason is 33 to 1. <laughs> I was for a second aghast, Michael, at your suggestion that you'd rather have Strasburg than Verlander in a potential elimination game, but I don't know. Strasburg has been so good in the playoffs. Like, and there was in like, his career, too. Yeah, uh, you know, dating back to, to the flu game in 2017. Um, yeah, but he's honestly like he's if if Garrett Cole weren't pitching the way he had been, uh, we would be talking way more about Strasburg. In fact, uh, if you come back to this site on Wednesday morning, you might see a, a column from yours truly about 
Steven Strasburg, the playoff ace. Um, so yeah, I I want I want something interesting. I care less about how many games it goes than like, you know, I, I either want like this coronation. I like Randy said, I'm I either want this coronation or I want like an all-time great series. You know, something like the I found last year's World Series to be just kind of unsatisfying because it was just sort of all predictable. Whereas like 2017, we had those two great games. I think 2016 was just as a may have been an even better World Series, even if you know Game Six was a bit of a blowout. It just the 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 back and forth, all the the stakes for the Cubs versus like the the plucky underdog status of of Cleveland. I think we're we're headed for something pretty similar uh, to that, or at least I hope we are. Yeah, so. I mean it's hard to have an all time great sweep. It, it might let you make the case that the Astros are the best team ever, or that they're on the greatest run ever. But the series itself, like even if the four games are all closely contended. There's some extra juice when the series itself is at stake when that's close to. So I just don't know that you can have that great a series if it doesn't. But end I up also, being a sweep. I also don't necessarily think that just because it goes five or six, it ends up being more interesting. Like you get it, you, like you occasionally. I keep coming back to the Mets Royals World Series where that was, you know, it was five games, but there were five really interesting games, uh, including you know a couple. Uh, that came really right down to the wire. And so I'm, we'll see if we get something short of that. Just what I, what I don't want is like Houston and six and they get up three, one and you know, the, the nationals never really look like they're in it. That's, that's really the one thing that, that I would hope to avoid. So mm-hmm. anyway, I'm sure I'll get crap for, for predicting a sweep, but it must be done. Somebody has got to stand up. I'll give you some crap for that. Yeah. So I'll send you a <laughs> I'm link. sure you will. <laughs> um, all right. Anything else that you guys want to cover? Or do you do you want to uh, let the the action speak for itself? I'm ready for the games. Uh, thanks for joining me, guys. Thanks, Bobby, for for stitching all this together. Uh, thanks to all of you out there for listening. Uh, enjoy the World Series. We'll be back next week to talk about whatever happens. <laughs>